Welcome to another episode of the Valley Deep Mountain High podcast. Like always, if you aren't already doing so, please head over to at Valley Deep Mountain High on Instagram and give us a follow there. Tonight, I am joined again with my brother Mark to talk about an expedition that he undertook to cross the Sahara Desert a few years ago. So, Mark, welcome to the show. All right, mate. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, mate. Yeah, not too bad. So, um, <clears throat> what to tell people and have a chat about your little walk you did? <laughs> my, my, my little, my little uh, bimble. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so you crossed the Sahara Desert. What year was that now? Um, 2014 it was. Yeah. Cool. So uh, the best thing to do would probably be to just explain to people how you got on that trek and we'll go from there. Yeah. So um, obviously served in the military, um, was injured in Afghanistan and as a result of being an injured soldier, um, was part of the Band of Brothers group for Help for Heroes, the charity. Um, basically, Band of Brothers are people who are recipients of um, the support from the from the charity. So um, any service person who's injured, who, who's eligible, would become a band of brother. Um, and it's important to note that likewise, their their immediate carer. So it's, it's usually things like their wife or their parents or whoever they're with. They're eligible to apply to become um, a band of sister as well. Um, and they're they're the same. They receive support from the charity. Yeah. Um, and basically, like any charity, they have to fundraise. Um, you know, phenomenal amounts of money because of the sort of support that they offer um, each year. And a w- one way that they, they raise money is by um, kind of like heading up expeditions abroad um, with, with like guiding agencies. Um, and as a band of brother, you're eligible to apply for a place on these expeditions for free um, as part of like your occupational therapy. Um, but it's also like a, a method of that when... The, you go on an expedition, the people who are fundraising then have a chance to speak firsthand with a beneficiary. Okay. Um, so that's what I did. I, I applied for that year. I think they were doing, um, I'm pretty sure they were doing Everest, um, the Sahara, and there was a couple of other um, expeditions that they were running. Um, I know the year before they'd gone to Petra and places like that. Um, so I, I put my name in the hat basically for everything. I just emailed and thought I probably won't get it. There's you know there's there's you know hundreds of Band of Brothers now. Um who will also be in the same part as me. Then I honestly didn't think it I didn't think it'd get on it. Mm. And then yeah they contacted me and said if you want to um you've got a space on this expedition. Um it's free. Um, you don't have to do anything. You just turn up um and then away you go well say so you don't have to do anything. You still have to train and things but you know yeah. I didn't have to I didn't have to do any fundraising if I didn't want to or anything like that. I could just go as a beneficiary and be on that expedition. I think one thing worth noting, which was, you know, it's fantastic that you got the opportunity to go. And mm. from you having your opportunity to go, uh, when they learned your story about us serving together and, and all that sort of stuff, I was offered a place to go with you on the same exped. Yeah. They were, like, they were, they were dead keen to push. Me, me and you to go together as twins and, and, and have this great expedition. And sadly, my employer at the time wouldn't give me the time off work to to go, even though I pleaded and begged and everything. Yeah. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that is going to cost me nothing. If anything, whilst I was working with young people, I was like, this will be you know, an amazing thing for, for me to show them, you know, that you can achieve these things. And they said no, so I left that job. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll left I think not long after. Yeah, I was quite fortunate um, in just my timing for everything. Really, my my job at the time, I worked a similar line of work. I worked for a veterans charity um, called Skill Force. Um, they worked with young people in education. Um, the team I worked for um, kind of figureheaded all the outdoor education for the charity, and um, yeah. was quite heavily involved in that myself. Um, we did a lot of the outdoor ed stuff for, for young people in in our region that we worked then um, had an incredibly understanding boss um andy you know um yes. was, was a great support he he'd done a number of expeditions himself he'd been everest a couple of times and um you know he you know like i say we were a forces charity and at that time help the heroes were one of our supporting charities so we got grants from help the heroes and the british legion and a couple of others to help the charity um, carry on doing what they were doing so 
I, that kind of worked in my favor in a way because it was like it then became like a, not a selling point for us as as skill force as a charity but it was also like a, well you know we're supported by help the heroes um one of our members of staff who you know teaches um you know expedition skills and um, outdoor education is on an expedition with them at the moment and that and it worked in our favor massively for the stuff we were doing and like you say it would just become another when we were working with with disadvantaged you know young people a bit like how um you know, Jonathan spoke about the work that the sailing group did in in the last you know couple of episodes. Um, it was good to have an example of like, look, this is what you can achieve if you want. You know, it, you know, if you if you're fortunate enough to have these opportunities put in front of you, say yes. You know, because you don't know what all what it will lead to. So I was lucky in, in that sense that 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 kind of tied the way. Yeah, yeah. And it was and it was good, you know for me to sort of see you go on this expedition alone was was bittersweet really you know i was i was gutted that i couldn't come you know it was one of the few times in my life where i've been like oh really really gutted but in the same aspects was you know really pleased that you had this opportunity to to undertake this this great expedition and obviously it come um it wasn't too too long after um dad passed away either and i remember being like oh it'd be it'd be like really proud do you know what i mean um yeah sort of seeing this this you know fantastic opportunity and you're getting to go to this amazing place yeah um, you know so that was that was yeah it was it was bittersweet really um yeah. but you know a great thing to do and i know there's a lot of people obviously who, who looked at it as well and were like right this is fantastic you know you, your job were were key in it as well i remember talking to andy your boss at the time he was absolutely made up, but in the same boat with me, he was good that he couldn't go. I think all your mates were really chuffy, but we were all devastated we couldn't come. Yeah, I mean, it's not something I was ever going to turn down. You know, I've, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have turned down any of them expeditions. I was, I was nearly doing um, a, a cycle ride, um, which was from London to Paris with him, um, but that the, the following year, but it never worked out um, for a number of reasons. But um, that would have been a similar sort of story. You, it would have been. Um, part funded and I would never have turned that down either again just because it not only was um, it was a free expedition but I was 100% behind what the charity do um, I got an incredible amount of support from Help the Heroes both for myself personally um, from a family perspective but also from an employment part as well they were hugely um, supportive in what the work that Skill Force were doing and I also ended up doing some work for them kind of as a result of a mix of all these things where we talked to other injured veterans about finding a career post-injury, post-service. And the work that, the work that, you know, the benefits of like charity work and, and stuff like that. So, yeah. yeah. And it, like, again, you at the time, you know, they still do a lot of stuff for, for servicemen and things like that. But at the time of you going, Help for Heroes were, were the probably the most recognised charity as well at the time by the public. Not saying there's any one other charities out there that were doing great things, but you know the general public's uh, you know to to Help for Heroes credit and you know upset a lot of other people I think, but they were seen as like the charity. So it was great to see him offer not only these opportunities to veterans for for free effectively to go on yes. these amazing things, but also as a means to generate fundraising for the charity because these are the types of expeditions that like we would go on and you would pay, you know, like Africa, for example, that was with Adventure Alternative. So they're a charity, but a guiding company, you pay a guiding company to go away. So to have one that you would fundraise for to fund the charity, but also they would take, you know, a number of ex-servicemen with them as well. It's, it's great to see. It's great well, to see. So, so, sorry, mate, go on. I was going to say, well, with that, there was only myself and one other band of brother who, who were lucky enough to get on it. And I yeah. think it was around eight band of sisters. It was mainly band of sisters who went. Um, everyone else who was on the expedition was a, was a civilian. Um, and they, not only did they, you know, pay or fundraise or whatever to, to get their own place, they also committed to raising an, a, a set amount of money that then went to the charity and it was a couple of thousand pounds. It wasn't, 
something that you could just, you know, throw together yourself. You know, a lot of the people fundraised for well over a year to meet that criteria. They had to fund their own place and raise a set amount of money. So the people who went committed and, and you know, a phenomenal amount of time to the cause, basically. Yeah. So how, the, how, how long were you away for in, in total again? Off the top of my head, I think it was about 12 days. Yeah, um, I can't. I can't remember really. <laughs> it was that long ago now, and I've done and, you know a number of other expeditions and stuff since then. Um, but yeah, I think it was about twelve days. Yeah, yeah. So, on terms of, let's talk about obviously because I, I know the answers to to nearly all these, but the people listening, you know, don't. So, on, on terms of prep for that sort of expedition, obviously you're you're fit and active anyway. You know, we do a lot of this stuff already. Um, what advice would you give someone who's going to go and do an expedition in that climate? So specifically in a desert climate or just expedition as a so, whole? So no, so because they're all different. So if someone's going to go to the Sahara to do a similar expedition to what you did. What would mm. you what would you sort of tell them that the fish routine is and diet and all that sort of stuff prior to going? Because I know it's important. Yeah. So obviously fitness makes made everything important. I knew that if I wasn't fit, or the, sorry, should I say the fitter that I was. The, the more I would enjoy it because I knew that it would be, you know, a set amount of distance each day in an environment that's incredibly challenging, you know, by the very nature of that, it's a desert, you know, not a lot grows there, not a lot of light, it can't sustain life, you know, so just by being there, it's an environment where humans don't thrive other than, you know, the few sort of Bedouin type people there. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, so fitness was a big thing. Um, and like I said, I was lucky at the time. I was doing a lot of outdoor education anyway, so I spent a lot of time in the hills and in the outdoors. Yeah, um, did you know? I was still running and stuff then, so I did a bit of that. Um, mainly cardio, um, and then diet-wise, um, I didn't really change my diet drastically to train to go, but my diet changed massively while I was there. Um, which I didn't really do the research on it. Otherwise, I wouldn't have known <laughs> before I went. And that, um, but. When, when we were there, there's very little protein in your diet. Um, obviously, it's a desert, so not a lot keeps fresh. Yeah. So every now and again, if you were lucky, we had um, sort of like canned fish, like tuna or salmon with uh, your meal. But, so desert temperature as well. Mm. So, so, so every, everything was like, there was a lot of salad there. Like, um, you know, if you were a vegetarian, you were laughing really, or vegan even, it was even better. You know? Yeah. But... Um, but yeah, it was it was a lot of like salads, breads, that sort of stuff. Um, cheese, weirdly enough, that gets. Um, but not a lot of protein. There was only <laughs> one. There was one night. It was someone's birthday, and they did it f- for like a birthday meal. <laughs> I say a birthday meal. You'll see why. Um, goes in a big tent, um, which was where they had all their their meetings for the day. The so you'd have like a prep in the morning when you had breakfast. They'd give you a talk about what to expect that day, how long you'd be walking for, the sort of pace you'd be going, that sort of thing. Yeah. Everyone would do like a group warm-up, which was a bit like, you know, in like places like China where you see like the factory workers outside and they're all stretching one way and, you know, they do like a big a big group hug <laughs> yoga session. You kind of did that in the morning, which at first I was like, what is this? Yeah. This is not what I'm about. But it become like quite a, it was a good way to start the morning, really. I can see why they do it. Yeah. And then, so, he goes in this tent for this birthday, and uh, it was a special meal. And basically, they did, like, a stew. And the only thing you can put it so akin to is a bit like, you'll understand this, having had the food we had when we was in Kenya. But it was it was a stew. And uh, there was a veg- vegetarian option, which, and a, and a, you know, a non-vegetarian option. And the non-vegetarian option just got described to me as meat, Oh, right. And it I went, could have been it dog just, or anything. It could have been, well, yeah, exactly. It was like meat. And and the people there spoke Arabic and French, but no English. <laughs> right, so they could say some words and it's just went meat. And I went, what is it? And he sort of spoke at me in Arabic and I went, I don't speak Arabic. That you then spoke in French and I went, still not understanding you. And he just went, meat. So I just nodded. I thought, oh, what's the worst that's going to happen here? It's, it's, it's going to be edible. Um, and then I went outside and counted all the camels. Yeah. <laughs> what was it? But, um, what, do you know what I have? Was, I have no idea because a bit like the food in Kenya, it was mainly bone. And I, I am utterly convinced that one meal in Kenya, we definitely had dog. Like, I'm utterly convinced. Yeah. That. It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. But 
But the food that we had when we was there was, you know, I can't knock it. It was really nice. Whatever it was, whatever animal it was, it was nice. So it could have been cat, dog, pigeon, rat, whatever. It was yeah, yeah. So <laughs> um, so yeah, so the, the food changed massively while you were there. Um, yeah. And everyone got given, like like I say, it was, it was a guided group, um, a bit like... Uh, you know the company adventure alternative who we did Mount Kenya with, and yeah. who most people would go away and do these sort of expeditions with. Um, I'm not by any means saying you'll. They would be different if I didn't on my own. There would be things I would do differently. Nutrition would be one of them. I kind of knew that it was a semi endurance event, as in you know you're on your feet for the majority of the time in the day. So I took energy gels and things like that with me. But what I didn't take was stuff like boiled sweets and things, and then. With the changing diet, there was just like very little sugar in the diet. That was a big shock to this. It was just basically just a huge detox going away. You, know, you yeah. sweat everything out and you're given veg. That was about it. So it was, <laughs> you know. See, they're the things that they're like. <clears throat> I think obviously people do do various different lives. You know, people live different lives and how they choose to go about expeditions and trips away and and training and that. But obviously, in the world of sort of social. You, you, it's dead easy to sort of pretend that you're something you're not, you know? So you see a lot of people who are like, well, you know, we, uh, we do this and we do that. And, you know, with any, any, any way of life. And I think it becomes very quick. If you're away somewhere like that, if you do what you say you do, you know? So like that being said, like when, when someone says they've been going to the gym loads, you know, prior to doing, you know, or they've been training for altitude, say, prior to going to altitude, and then they really suffer. I mean, like, some people, yeah. it's, you know, a lot of it's down to, you know, it's biological. Like, some people can be suited better to altitude than, than others. That's just a fact. So, like, when we were away, I didn't suffer too bad at all, really. But I remember Flinny being really ill. And, it, and it, if anything, at the time, he was much fitter than, than me, but just copped it really bad. Yeah. So, you know, there was... There was an element of this while we were there. We were told, obviously, like the first the first day was so. It's a bit weird when you go there. You land. We landed at a place called Wazazat, which is where all like the studios are that do like the production for things like Star Wars and Gladiator was all filmed there in Morocco. Um, and then when you you drive from there to the Sahara Desert, right? You know, so so and on that drive, you basically go through every weather system going. So at one point. Because you go up and over the Atlas Mountains, you get out of this minibus and there's snow. And then a couple of hours later, you're back, you know, below sea level at, at the Sahara. Yeah. It was very, very strange. But um, there was an element of people who'd not prepped on, on the trip. You know, there was um, a couple who struggled with the... I don't think it was so much the pace because it was... It was basically what? ended up being like a, a caravan of people, like a very long line of people. You just fit into that wherever you went so there was myself and the other band of brother and a couple of veterans and there was two serving soldiers who went we were at the front now i wanted to be at the front because i wanted the view of everything that we were seeing first um and as the trip sort of progressed i then and got to know different people and things because i never met any of these people the first time i met them all was at the airport at heathrow on the way out um so slowly as the time changed i changed my positioning in, in the caravan of people should i say but there was people who ended up at the back who for whatever reason i don't know what but they'd not done as much training or wasn't as fit or whatever or their admin was just not i wouldn't say substandard but they had injuries that were avoidable so things like blisters um yeah it's things like that where you know, you were told how to look after yourself prior to going. And for me, if you're going to go and do an expedition, that's in it's walking at the end of the day. You're going to be doing a lot of walking in an environment that you know is hard. Why you wouldn't prep for these things? Would be on that like the best blister care kit in the world. Never had to use it. Yeah, exactly. Well, I remember you know going through your kit with you before you went because we've got very similar kit, and some of the kit you took was mine as well. And and I remember being like, well, you're not going to have an issue with. You know, you pack and because you took a uh, an Umlindi pack from Hill People Gear. I did, um, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and then since the day of me getting that pack, that's probably been the best pack I've ever used from them. Yeah, the company like they're amazing. They're built for desert environment, obviously because of where they're from. Um, that was an amazing, you know, pack. And then obviously Rue helped make up some bits for your kit to to modify it and make it your own and stuff. And then, you know, 
I just think it's, it's I always find it a bit bizarre because obviously if we go into the outdoors together or we take a group or whatever it may be, you know, I know that like, you, you know, your kit will be sorted. Yeah. I'll be like, I, I know it's there. And it's, it always becomes a bit of a shock. You know, obviously, you know, we'll tell people what to bring. What's dead annoying is if you say to someone, right, I need you to bring, you know, a full set of waterproofs. That's, that's key. I need you to bring them, for example. And you get them, you go, I've got a jacket. And you're like, that's not a full set though, is it? Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, and it's, to me, it's always a bit bizarre that people would go abroad anywhere, especially somewhere that's like, a, you know, a bit of an austere environment like that and have bad prep. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. that's an environment where you could die quite yeah. easily. You know, you die a lot faster from heat shock than you do hypothermia. Oh yeah. You're yeah. Very quick, you know? So it's just things like, I just think it's a bit mental really, but I bet they won't make that mistake again and the kit will be better. <laughs> There was times you could tell that people were... Well, for me, it wasn't just that they would regret it. You know, they've regretted the decision to, you know, not buy boots that were suitable or not look after their feet properly at the end of the day or whatever it was. Yeah. For me, if I had got anything like that, I wouldn't have enjoyed it as much. And I wouldn't have enjoyed the experience as much as I could because I'd never been to the Sahara. Um, I knew the chances of me going again any time soon after would be slim just because of work and family life and things like that. Um, so I wanted to make the most of being there as much as I could. I wanted to be in the moment at every step of it, basically. Yeah. And it was, there was lots to see there. There was loads that I just didn't expect. So you talk about going to the desert, everyone's perception, because mine certainly was, was that it'll just be rolling sand dunes. That's all you see on TV. You type in Sahara Desert on Google or wherever, and that's all it will be, sand dunes, just sand dunes everywhere. And it's not like that. There's there's huge areas of, like, Hamado where this was dead surreal. We had one day where it was just, like, hard ground, like gravel almost. Yeah. And as you're walking along, there's just seashells everywhere. Because, obviously, at one point, it was underwater. It was the seabed at one point. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, in, and then... But then it become a bit like, I suppose it was a bit like akin to being in space. You know, you'd pick up this, like a shell and be like, no one's touched that. No humans touched that ever because it's such a vast environment. And I, I got like a bit, not obsessed with it, but it was just, it just blew me away. I was like, I wonder how many people have stood here in this one place. Yeah, there's no footprints there. I'm the first you know. human being to stand. <laughs> yeah. And then it got a bit daft because obviously there's, there's like, say, some of the veterans and things, but like, you know, I'd go for a pee at a tree and be like, I bet I'm the first person to pee on this tree. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just, just little things like that where it was just, it was, honest to God, it, the environment was was incredible. Yeah. Um, the life that was there was also a bit interesting. So it's a bit like going to any other sort of mad climate, really. Anything that's growing in an environment like that is potentially dangerous. Anything that's living in an environment like that is potentially dangerous. So they did have, you know, snakes and spiders and things like that there, scorpions, um, some of the trees and, and plant life there was, was poisonous. Yeah. Um, they had they had one particular tree and it had a fruit growing in it that looked a little bit like a grapefruit, I suppose. Yeah. Um, green. And I remember look, I was looking at it and one of the uh, Sherpas went, no. And it's, I just went, that's, that's universal in any language. Yeah, no, yeah. Don't do that. So I asked one of the guys who was guiding one of the, like the, international mountain leaders there i said what's the what's the score with this because he's just looked at me and just basically you know ripped me head off and he went all oh, that he went um if you eat it uh first you go blind and then you die that's <laughs> all right all right fair enough okay yeah don't try that then if you but don't then see your own death then uh monitor it god this is the thing i think that like people totally forget that like obviously in the uk there's there's you know obviously we've got a couple of poisonous plants and stuff but they genuinely look pretty gnarly don't they like your giant hogweed just oh yeah, yeah. Don't touch don't, it. Do you know don't, what I mean? Don't mess with it. Yeah, yeah. But, but there, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know. But what was odd was though at night, the branches for it when they dry off, the sherpas would take that and burn it, and it kept away all the insects and stuff. Because obviously it's full of you know whatever poison. Yeah, but then we had another day where we were walking in. There was um, any anything that smelled like flowers or anything like that, you could pick up from miles away because there's nothing else growing there. So it's really weird. It's yeah, it's like acute senses. And one of the guys was like, oh, this this is rocket salad. As in, you know, what did you buy from a supermarket? Anyway, and I'd, I'd just finished my um, wilderness instructor's qualification and I'm a bushcraft um, 
teaching course and also things like yeah. that. So I, I was dead keen and all like the, the flora fauna type stuff while I was there because it was like, again, different environment, never going to see it again. The more I can learn about it while I'm here, something else to teach when you get back. And he was like, you want to try it? And the second I put it in my mouth, I was like, you absolute idiot. My mouth was just on fire. And yeah. uh, he, this guy's laughing his head off. So part of me's thinking, well, it ain't going to kill me because he's laughing about it unless he's trying to off me. But yeah. um, it was basically just really peppery, like really just like dead strong, like almost like chilly. Yeah. Um, that was just, so So yeah, it was just, it was crazy the environment, like. Yeah. And you, you said as well that like at night, random like desert people were just, turn up wouldn't they no, that's not the right word from desert people but like <laughs> no i don't you mean yeah you know yeah, I mean? like, like the people who live in the desert sorry um they would just turn up wouldn't they they just yeah, so, so the, the the night where um it was someone's birthday um we had like a bit of a song and dance outside which was again you know on any expedition like this i've just tried to immerse myself in everything culture people you know street food you know which i'll, I'll touch on again in a little bit but um all that sort of stuff so we're there like with this fire and it was like drums playing and things like that. And then out of nowhere, these people just rock up. And you think, where have you been all day? Yeah, <laughs> you know? have you got it? Yeah. <laughs> How long have you been walking for, following this, like, you know, drum sound? It's basically gets this impromptu, you know, desert rave almost. Like, yeah, the Burning yeah. Man. <laughs> for, for, <laughs> yeah, for someone's birthday from the UK you've never met before, you know, it was... Uh, what, yeah, um, what, what, uh, what type of pace was it during the day? Like a 4K pace? 4k an hour or um slower than that just with it being it, hot it it depended on yeah it massively depended on the time of day so between sort of one and two o'clock we didn't move at all it was well too hot you just couldn't do anything and when i say too hot it genuinely felt like being in if there was no wind if there was if there was breeze it wasn't as bad it was just like being in a very hot environment but it, if there was we had one day where there was no cloud cover and no wind and Jesus Christ, you proper notice the difference. Like you sweat everything out. Like you constantly got cramp. Um, you know, and I, I was amazed by this because you know, obviously from being young, um, I was talking about it today with someone actually that you obviously the marathon de Sables one in, in Morocco. Yeah, and I, I've always been like, I want to do that one day. I one day I will do that. Um, whether I actually get around to doing it or not, I don't know. I thought, again, when I was in the tower, I was like, wow, next best step, we get to see this sort of thing. How people run in that environment is beyond me. Yeah, well, I um, I know a guy who's done that that event. Uh, I've, yeah. I've just been speaking to him, actually, before coming over you. Um, Peter, he's called. And um, he, he when I first met him, he was like, you're a young lad and you're fit. You know, why don't you do this race? And I was like, mate, I'm not an ultra runner. Yeah, but I, I did it. So you can yeah. do it. And, he, and he'd not done anything prior to that. That was his first thing that he did. And I said, what was the hardest bit? He said, the hardest bit, training-wise, was um, learning what to take with you because, no, there was, you know, when he did it, it, was, it wasn't as well-known as what it is now, so there was no resource anywhere. And he was like, and getting your kit made for it, obviously, because quite a lot of your stuff you have to take is custom-built to you. Yeah, yeah. And he said, that was really hard. But on all that, he said, when he got there, because he had absolutely no idea whether or not his prep was right. Yeah. So... You, Steep you know, learning curve if you get it wrong. Well, I, I was like I said, I was speaking to him, I said to him, was it hard? And he went, no, we went, as, as long as you're comfortable in your own head and you can sort of switch off yeah. and just go, it's fine. He said, it's, you know, obviously it's challenging, but you have to have trust in yourself that you've put the time in. But then when you get there, you're instantly with these other people who are, you know, world, world-class athletes go to that event. Yes. And normal people, me and you, you know, would go to that event. So he said, you don't know who to sort of look at for reassurance because everyone looks the same. But yeah. in the same aspect, you could be with someone and they just shoot off and you're like, how, how are they that fit? Yeah. You know, and they could be like a world athlete or there were people struggling. He said, I mean, he said a lot of people drop out, like self-retire be- just because of the environment and it's it's too hard. And mm. not only that, obviously, if you miss checkpoints, you've, you've got to be pulled out. But he said a lot of people dropped out. I mean, that thing that I was talking to you before about when that race happened, and it, your longest day is an 80 kilometer day there. And yeah. It was flooding one year. So they got there and they were like, your long day, that's supposed to be 80k. Yeah, it's it's now 92 kilometers. Well, like, can you imagine training to, yeah. to do 80k? And like, you know, obviously you need a little bit more, but an extra like 12 kilometers on top of that, that's that's a long way. So, you know, with, with that, like when, when I was there, it was like the rainy, I say the rainy season, loose term. 
um, we had to carry waterproofs as part of our mandatory kit. You had to carry full full waterproofs with you. And I was like, what? I am never going to put these on. It's like 40 degrees. It's just not happening. No no chance of my putting these Good on. Good way to lose weight, innit? And the very last... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, awesome sauna suit. Yeah, yeah. Especially, especially <laughs> mine that were black Gore-Tex as well. Yeah. But um, the, the last day, um, we got evacuated out of the area we were supposed to be staying in out to... Um, Marrakesh, we ended up in Marrakesh a day early, which was where we were flying home from, because there was rains, and Morocco had like the worst flooding that it had in years. I think it was since that race. Yeah. And, um, driving through the Atlas Mountains just become, I say, an adventure in itself. It's quite worrying at times. We're going over bridges that were being washed away. Yeah. There was, like cars and stuff just floating down rivers that weren't there on the way in. It was a crazy, crazy. And then when we got back to the UK. When he got to work, everyone was like, well, I'm surprised you're here. But like, why is that yeah. in the news? And I'd not had a chance between flying and landing to look at anything that the BBC had put out. And it was like loads of deaths, landslides. It was just yeah. like the country just basically descended into chaos because it had, had, you know, four or five days worth of rainfall in the space of about an hour. And they, obviously the grounds that baked there, everywhere yeah. just flooded. It Again, was, I remember seeing crazy. that and just being like mega jealous. But like, yeah. oh, what he's got like an extra adventure on the end of his adventure. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Well then, well then, you know, on the way back we went to. Um, I mean, I could go on about this for ages. This this subject, like, I love my time in Sahara. I'd, I would jump at the opportunity to go again. If everyone, if anyone who's listening ever gets the opportunity to go to the Sahara or to do any sort of adventure there, you yeah. go. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. Like I say, because when I was walking around, like I was like, well, no one's been here. No one's been here. You know, I could be the first person to walk up this. Or like one of the <laughs> things we did there, we went up the something a place called um, Chicago, and it's the tallest sand dune in the Sahara. And you're literally walking, and you can see this thing for miles. It, it's a mountain basically in the desert, amongst other mountains, because the sand dunes that are surrounding it are massive too. And it took hours to get to the top, but the view from the top was incredible. It was like standing in the middle of the ocean, basically, because Everywhere you looked was just sand dunes for yeah. as far as you could see. And you, you feel very small and insignificant when you stood there looking around going, well, if you get lost there, it's game over. Yeah. yeah. Well, people, you know, you, were, you know, well, we, we spoke a lot about, obviously, Marathon de Sabs and, you know, but people people do die quite easily because you get off off track and you only have to be gone, like, you know, an hour and that's it then. Yeah. So one, yeah. Of, one, of, one of the kind of rules when we were there was that you couldn't wear headphones when you were walking. Now, that's twofold. Part of it was because it's an expedition. They wanted people to interact with each other because of the type of expedition it was. So I was 100% behind that anyway. Um, it would have just been rude, basically, to have them when you're walking around. But there was an expedition a couple of years ago with a different guiding company where two, I think we're from Germany, but two people had had headphones in. They wandered off from their group, didn't realise they were lost because they couldn't hear anything. Then when they realised they were lost, instead of you know, standing still and doing what you're taught as a kid, basically, when you get lost. They wandered around trying to find it and they basically just died. And, you know, yeah. Dehydration, uh, yeah. exposure, that sort of stuff. Because you know, it's worth noting, at night, it was absolutely freezing. Like, the, you literally were in two climates, daytime, a million degrees, nighttime, minus a million. You know, I woke yeah. up in the morning with, I took um, a, a silk sleeping bag liner, a primer loft sleeping bag, which was like a summer bag, and a Pertex baby bag because I thought it's it's still a Sahara. I'm glad I took all three because in in the night or I used to have put on a primal off jumper and I woke up and there was frost on the outside of my Pertex bag. Oh, the night night. It's and not it, good when that happens in the UK, but happening yeah, in the way. But then the second the sun come up, bang, a million degrees again. It was and your body's just like, what is going on here? But yeah. it like nighttime was an incredible experience because I mean, I know you've been in the middle of the ocean as well and yeah. in climates, places like Africa and Afghanistan and things like that, when we've been there, you can see a lot of stars. I swear to God, I've never seen so many stars in all my life as I did at night in, in the desert. You, you could see like the banding for the Milky Way. And one night, they were, you, could see, you could see the space station, mate. That's how clear the sky is. Yeah, yeah. Well, I remember reading an extract from someone who'd been on the space station and he said that the only time he's seen a sky is similar to that was when he was in the desert. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And it's quite one of the things, like, you know, 
like I said, I know two people who've been to Sahara, you, and that other lad. That's it. You know, so I think when I say you're incredibly lucky to have the opportunity to go, you, I mean, like, look at how many people we know that I do this type of stuff. Lots of people, and we, you know, through networking and things like that, you know, you always kind of know someone of someone, but you, you and, and Peter are the only two people that I know who've been to that environment. I mean, I know people who've been to Marrakesh, but you know, you can go that, to Marrakesh on holiday, and that, and that yeah. itself is a bit mad because that's just full of terrorists now. There's like, well, terrorism there, aren't they? Yeah, Marrakesh <laughs> was an experience in itself. Like, that was another thing as well. So, we had, um, our last our last day basically you have in Marrakesh like you have a full day there and then uh, a meal in a restaurant in the evening and then the following day you flew home. So I thought I've I've never been here before. I've got one day here. I want to go and do as much as I can in this one day. I woke up at basically as soon as the sun rose. I was like, that's me out straight out of the door. And I literally went as far as I could go in Marrakesh on both on public transport and on foot with uh, Tim the the lad who's the other the other band of brother. We both had the same. Sort of mindset is we're going to go and do everything on this day. Um, and there's two girls as well, they were the same, they they were band of sisters, they were the same. They were like, We're going to go and do as much as we can in this one day. It was the most mental day I've ever had in any country outside of you know, Javi <laughs> to Afghanistan. The place is just absolute chaos. Like the the food market, there was there was like the sort of western, all the colored spices and stuff, and you know, big wedgie. And what was my Mad there was Jamie Oliver obviously went to Marrakesh when he did one of his TV shows or a book, whatever. Every single spice shop you went in, they had the front cover from this magazine from when Jamie Oliver visited. And they were like, Jamie yeah, Oliver yeah. came to my shop. He came to my... trying to get you to buy stuff that you can't take through customs. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Well, you can't. We... thing in it. Like, when I remember when we were in, um, when we were in Kenya, you know, people like, yeah, I'm going to go and buy like a, a soapstone chess set. And I'm like, that's amazing, but how are you going to get it on because of the weight? And they were like, oh, yeah. oh yeah. yeah. There was a <laughs> like, lot. You of can't that. take this massive soapstone rhino home because the, it weighs ten kilos. The maddest know? thing that happened to me in there was similar to that. Was everywhere you go, they try and sell you these like Persian rugs that are handmade. And don't get me wrong, they're worth loads, and they are expensive when you're there. Obviously, they rip you off a bit anyway because it's a tourist thing, and they're like, you know, come buy my rug and stuff. So I ended up in this this watching this guy make this wooden chess set and the next minute he's like carting me and this lad off and, and these two girls to like throw all these back alleys to this house we go upstairs and it's something like the the, the rooftops was something like at the barn supremacy like it's just that chaos <laughs> i think yeah, so like yeah. climbing over these rooftops <laughs> thinking where and i'm like you know obviously at the time my ptsd was quite unchecked and i was like Where's it taking us this is mental and i knew the place wasn't dead safe anyway the two girls who were with us were a bit on edge and t- me and Tim looked at each other and went, what are we going to do if it kicks off? <laughs> and, and then we end up in this house, and it was like, basically a, a, a carpet shop. Right? Oh, right, okay. So the guy's like, do you, want, do you want mint tea? And I thought, I know what's happening here. I know, they're going to try and sell us stuff. So He's doing some flim flam, you know, that yeah. nice chat. So, his mate, so I was like, yeah. So then we, we sat down, and I went straight away. I thought, I don't want to offend the guys. I went, listen, I'm not buying anything. It's not happening. I'm not buying a carpet. And he went, no, 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 no. He's like, we have tea. We'd just be friends anyway. So I was like, all right, fair enough. So I'm sat having tea in this guy's house. That's a carpet shop. And we thought, well, we'll have, we'll have a bit of a laugh here. So they kept bringing out these rugs. And I was like, nah, it's not big enough. I need a bigger one. So they basically come out with these things, mate. They're like, you might as well in the same size as a football pitch, do a massive by the end. And I was like, I don't like the frills on that one. Have you got one without the frills? Have you got one that's a different colour? <laughs> and then in the end, we went, yeah, I don't like any of them not buying. But part of it was, I went, I'm going to get it home, though. Do you know what I mean? I would get this home. And they have one that they've, like, rolled up and sealed in duct tape with a handle on, made out of duct tape. And was like, see, carry-on size. So really? They, so they think, yeah. They literally think of everything trying to sell you this stuff. Yeah, see, I think that for... For most people who go abroad, or and because obviously there's things like that in in most countries, but obviously the places where you know that are a bit wild, um, I think a lot of people wouldn't go to those sort of places. But for me, I'm like, as long as it's you know, as long as you feel confident and safe to do so, then then yeah. go to these places because, like, do you remember going through the drum market in exactly. Kenya? Make the drums and stuff. That's like, exactly what this place was like, mate. I have, I have. Hand on, you know, out of everywhere I've been in the world, I've I've never been to anywhere that is so mental to to like just 
Well, see, after, after no. COVID disappears, we'll go because you can fly there with EasyJet and I'll take you to where I went and you'll see exactly what I mean. Exactly yeah, yeah. Well, this is the thing, like, you know, don't get me wrong, like, I like a nice holiday, you know, as well as, you know, doing something cool. There needs to be a balance in life with anything and I'm all cool for just going and chilling out on a beach for a week and just going diving and just loving life for a little bit and forgetting about the world. But I would much rather go somewhere and have like a, a cool story, you know, like yeah. and, and to actually see this place because obviously you can go, you can go on a tourist already to Morocco and it'd be all right. But you, you know, a lot of people wouldn't go down these like dodgy little streets and, you know, like I know, like if I went there with you and someone said Do you want to come out into the desert, I'd be like, well, let's go. <laughs> well, when so we obviously only had a day to do all this. So I literally from sunrise to as soon as it went dark, basically, because I knew we had to be at this 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 restaurant. I spent all my time doing that, just going round. When we got back to the like near the hotel complex, very western, I say westernized, it was still, it was a bit like Nairobi, it was still a bit mad, uh, but very westernized. There was other people who'd been in the, on the expedition with us. He was sat in like what would be, I don't know, might as well have been Pizza Rock, um, yeah. the outside going, I was like, where have you been all day? And went, oh, we've just been, went for a drink and we've just had something to eat and chilled out here. And he went, where have you been? And I was like, you would not believe what we've seen. You know, I've been in someone's house. He tried to sell me carpet. You know, we've seen snakes <laughs> and monkeys. And we went to their food market. It, oh, it just blew my head away. It was just some of the stuff that you see there, which yeah. I don't think it'd be safe to put in your podcast. It was a bit crazy. But um, none of them had any of these, like, experiences. And I thought, what a waste. What a waste. Yeah. You know, you might never come here again. And you've not fully got involved in in everything that you could do while you were there. Like, I genuinely was like running around all day like a lunatic because what's a fit as much in because mm. the longer I was there I was like this is mad this and then so an example we went to um one of the one of the guys was there was like right when you go to into Marrakesh go and find this restaurant never told us where it was or anything so all all morning like where's this place where's this place and he goes upstairs and it was like a terrorist yeah and he was like what do you want to eat and I went nothing off your menu and he just looked at me like I had two heads and went what would you eat and he's like, I'll be back. And they come out with like these, again, meat. God knows what it was. <laughs> and I was like, these skewers. And it was some of the best food I've ever eaten. Yeah. I, to this day, I've got no idea what it was. It could have been snake, horse, camel, dog, cat, pigeon. God knows. But yeah. it's good, though. Um, and well, again, um, I think that was another, I need to just be immersed into this environment as much as I can and get the most out of being here. That, that, that's the thing that I've always tried to push. I remember when... Um... So when I first joined the the search team, um, yeah, you know, I did most, and I did, you know, after like a year, you do your technicians course, and then you know, you're a full member. Then after you've done all your courses, and I remember talking to, uh, I think it might have been Jim, who's been in the team forever, um, you know, a lot older than me and you, and he, uh, he you know, he's hearing me and you, t- you know, have a chat with a couple of our mates, and we're having a drink and stuff on a Saturday night, and on a Sunday morning, he went, I can't believe how much he's he's have done in your lifetime, like such a, you know, at such a young age. And I remember we both kind of just looked at each other a bit like, yeah, like a bit blown away. And he was like, no, it's really good. And I said to him, why, like, just, just do these things. Like if someone says to you, do you want to come away and then, then, then go away? So like, for example, um, I went to Iceland in October um, for a, a long weekend, basically in Reykjavik for my birthday. And I think I, I couldn't have crammed more into that weekend. Now I could yeah, have just exactly. like, gone for something to eat, gone for a walk around, you know, and then just chilled out at like, you know, the spa or whatever and, and, and seen a bit. Uh, we, we went everywhere because I was like, I might never come here again. Like, exactly. I, I want to, now I, I, there's a few places in my life that I will definitely go back to. That is somewhere where I'll definitely go back to because having been once and seen how easily accessible it is to get off the plane, hire an off-road like camper for a week because it's pretty cheap and you can just drive everywhere. Uh, I'll be going back. So it's like um, a, a great example of going somewhere that's a bit mental and a bit out there is obviously when we went to the Faroes. Now, you can get a flight to the Faroes. Obviously, we, we, we were looking to do that expert where we sailed there. Yeah. But again, quite a Western place, but very, very, very different, you know. Yeah. Um, obviously, there's, there's, there's this, whichever way you look at it, you know, for me, I would never go to another country and say that your culture is wrong because they could come here and say our culture's wrong and we would moan like anything. Yeah. So obviously they still do whaling in, in the Faroes. Um, so that's where they put a pod of whales onto a beach and 
they kill them for food. Obviously, there's a lot of people who are against that. For me, it's their culture and that's what they do. Because I remember talking to them about that. And uh, yeah. they were a bit, do you remember, they were a bit like defensive at first, weren't they? And we well, were, we're not, we're not like, arguing with you. I want to know, I want to understand what it is because we're only young. And it's things like I like go into different countries and have these chats with people who like live there. Like yeah. you learn more. Like just, just, I would just take all the opportunities to go wherever you can. And then when you get there, do more than you were going to do. Like if you, if there's a way you can find a way to sort of, you know, get out and do more. I mean, we've only got a couple of minutes left. But what I would, you know, I would definitely take the opportunity to 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 find a way to fund something as well, you know, because obviously going to going to somewhere out of your own pocket is, you know, can be expensive. expensive. Yeah, but if you, if you can find a way to do it like what you did, you know, or what the the band of, band of sisters did and things like that, you know, to go out to the desert where you would you pay for your place but you fundraise for a charity as well. Yeah, because obviously that's the thing. People think you go on this trip for obviously. Yeah, I know they give it to veterans, but people think the other people there are all not paid. Well, they've all paid their place and raised money. You know, there's a, there's a lot of people who, who think because they're raising money for charity, companies or the charities should give them something for free. That's not how it works. No, but no, I don't. At the point before. where you have to ask a company to give you, like you know, a coat or a bag or whatever it might be to go and do your expedition, you, you're taken away from from what you should be doing yeah the reason why you're there like, yeah. i'm very mindful like, you know me and you spoke about going to the harbour uh, i've got a guy marvin me to go and do marvin the tab which at the minute it would be an amazing expedition but i'm no way near in the fitness level required to compete in that event um by a long shot uh, i mean i'd give it a good go but probably only for two days and then be broken um i'm very mindful if i want to go and do that i'd, I'd be funding it it's self-funded that's because that's how you do these things and if you want to raise money for charity we're doing it then raise money for charity you know, be humble with it. Don't be, don't be sort of being like, give, give it me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what, what, what bit of advice would you give someone for, for going there? To take part and avoid the meat. <laughs> yeah. So again, just, it's, it's a different environment and it? it's a bit like, you know, being underwater or in space or that's what it felt like when you were there. It's so, such an alien place to be. So just to make the most of being in that world, that, that opportunity, that, that culture, just everything about it. Because like you say, every time you watch the sunset there, it was totally different than it was the day before. And every time you saw the stars at night, it absolutely blew me away. It's yeah. quite, you know, unless you've got like a real expensive camera kit, no one's ever going to, gonna. none of my photos do it justice. And there was also mm. lots of other mad bits of the adventure, like sandstorms and things. You know, you, you think they'd be like they are on the beach. No, totally different. You know yeah. Uh, you know, uh, there was people who were like quite scared or anxious about this sort of stuff. Whenever it happened, I was like, "This is amazing! This is just another, this is just another crazy part." Like I remember going thinking, "Oh, I, I hope I end up in one at some point because you know I want to, I want to experience everything that this place has got to to give." So yeah, just take the most of every opportunity that you've got when you want any sort of expedition, not just one to somewhere. That's you know what people would consider a bit of a mad place, but any expedition whatsoever, you know, you've got to get involved with the people you're with. Teamwork is key because if if everyone gets along, which is a bit of a long shot, you're not going to get along with everybody. But you know, on the whole, if you're an adult, you know you're quite mature about things. Everyone gets along. It's a happy experience. If it's a happy experience, and like like Jonathan said, you know, on these endurance events and stuff, you've either invested time or money into it, so you better start enjoying it because. When you come back, you just regret it otherwise, I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's something I've always sort of said to people. I'm like, especially, you know, if, you, if you're guiding groups or anything like that, you, you can always get one or two people that might not, you know, they want to do it their way. You know, that I exactly. say to them, oh, come on, mate, like, don't do that. And they're like, well, why? Yeah. Well, you've asked me to look after you. I'm telling you not to do it. So just don't do it. You know, yeah. what, what, don't don't take it in your... And it's the people that sort of have an abrasive bit about them on an expedition yeah. for the ones who yeah. You know, you've, you've got to get along, haven't you? you know, there, has no, a lot of, there has to be a lot of fair compromise, I think, is the, is the right way to say it. Yeah. You know, there was things that I didn't want to do when I was there, but I didn't point blank say no. Or, or like, no, we're not doing that. I would never have done that. I was like, well, I'm one of a group of people here who, you know, I might, there might be other people who, do, who felt the same, didn't want to do it. But if the majority was like, yes, we'll do it. Like the, the sand dune that we're talking about, 
that was a group decision whether we went up that or not because it added time and distance onto an already strenuous day. Yeah. So it, it got put to a vote. Now, I would have been absolutely devastated if the vote was, was a no, but I certainly wouldn't have kicked off about it. Yeah. 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 It's a group decision, isn't it? Yeah. 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 yeah definitely. Definitely. Right, mate. Well, that's, you know, almost an hour and that's, you know, great to, to hear your story and, 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 you know, sharing it with everyone else about this amazing expedition that you got to go on. You know, it's fantastic. Yeah. So thanks for coming on again, mate. You know, no doubt we'll have more chats in the future going forward. I'm going to try my best at the minute. There's a bit of a shock for everyone. I want to try and do a podcast every day this week if I can. So I've got a few people lined up. Because um, yes. it's only it's only an hour in the evening. You know, it's, it's not. So hopefully, you know, there'll be some more interesting people coming on but Matt thank you very much for coming on again no no problem Matt I've loved it it's been it's always been it's always good I always feel like when I come and do this with you it's, we're getting to chat about things that you know we, we always talk about these things anyway so it's just like having a conversation with you but I know that so you know some of your listeners and, and people who listen to it this this all new information this and if in any way it helps you know like you said if it helps help inspire someone or they go yeah I'd love to try that then and I'm more than happy to share you know, any any of the stories of the stuff that we've done in the past, if that's what the outcome would be, is someone goes, I'm going to do that. Yeah. Then I'm going to give it a go. That I'd be, I'd be, I'd be happy with, I'm going to try. You know, I'd, I'd be happy with that. Yeah, what I would say is my bit, you know, I don't really give a bit of advice, really, but what I would say on, on that is, <clears throat> if you're going to do an expedition in the UK or abroad, um, don't just throw your money at someone because they've got a title. You know, oh, yeah. because there's a lot of people who just yeah. make up titles. You know, like you could now be Mark Desert Explorer, you know, level one. <laughs> yeah. You yeah, know, exactly. so don't don't yeah. just don't rely on on, you know, do your background research and, and look it up properly and, and spend the time to see whether or not that guiding company um will work for the type of event that you want to do. Yeah, and, and you know, the type of trip you want to have, you know. And also, um if you I think it's important to know if you're gonna go with a guiding company you need to look at their history, like how many guides have they done to this place? You know, yeah. uh, when they, when they say they're a guiding company in, you know, the Sahara, well, how many expeditions to the Sahara have they guided? And what was, what I, I realized with the company we were going, they had basically the equivalent of a blue flag for a guiding company. They were very eco-friendly. They were big on looking after the planet and their, their carbon footprint as such on each expedition. That was a massive thing for them. So they, they pushed for that while you were there and little things like that. You know, if you're spending time in the outdoors, it should be important to you anyway, I think. But, yeah. you know, they're selling points for other people who are looking. So there's loads of things like you should consider. Yeah. You know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, key points. Right, Matt. Well, again, thanks for coming on. And um, everyone, thanks again for listening and tuning in. And we will see you again soon. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye.